Today is the beginning of a series that we are doing called Go Together. But more accurately, today is the launch party, is what I would like to call it. Because next week, we're doing a series and Go Together, and I'm going to make sure I get this right, because I didn't in first service, in first, or Philippians chapter 1 and 2. Next week, we will start a six-week series in Philippians chapter 1 and 2. But this week, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 10. So you can feel free to get there now if you want. Um, we'll get to it a little bit later, but that's where we're going this morning. But again, this is a launch party. This is our last-stitch effort to say, here's where we're going, church, and we want you to be on board with us. And so I'll tell you a little bit more later if you're like, you know what, I just came back, I've been gone for a while, I don't know what Go Together is. I'll give you a little bit more information about that later, but we are going in this series called Go Together. There is about 420 people in our church, adults, already signed up where they're in a group or they're in a study and they're doing this together, which is awesome. I think that might be the most we've ever had collectively doing one study at the same time. But we want everybody to go. So we're going to talk about why we must go today. But before we do that, I think it's important that we understand the context that we find ourselves in today, and we also understand the context that Paul is writing to in Romans chapter 10. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever considered how America is becoming less and less Christian as a nation? Now, I'm not talking about the politics. I'm talking about the people. There are less people in America today who profess to be Christian than ever, based off of the percentages of society. I remember growing up, it would be popular to say that you were a Christian. You would tune into an awards show, and you may see every single person that stood up there would thank God for winning this award, which meant very little about did they actually believe in God, but it was the popular thing to do. I even remember surveys that used to go around in the classroom, and it was as if everyone would check on the box that they were a Christian, but yet very few of those people ever set foot in a church or had any real relationship with God. This was the reality of America. Just to prove it a little bit more, I want to show you some statistics, if we can get these graphs up here real quick. So this is the percentage change in professing Christians between 2009 and 2019, as you can see, there's about a 12% drop in men who profess to be Christian. There's about an 11% drop in women who profess to be Christian. Here's millennials where we get the big shout out here. About a 16% drop in millennials who say they are a Christian based off the percentage of Americans who are millennials. You see it goes down with Generation X, same with baby boomers, same with silent generation. There's not a single generation of Americans today that are more, have a higher percentage of professing to be Christian than they did 10 years ago. It doesn't exist. So, let's talk about that for a minute. What were the positives of an America that professed to be more Christian? Well, the first positive we had were that there was a general understanding of morality, meaning that what Christians believed to be moral, society also believed to be moral. That was great. It made it easier to send your kids to school. It made it easier to assume that if your kids were with someone else, they weren't hearing something that you didn't want them to hear or to learn about. It was a lot easier. You know what was bad of the America of yesteryear as it related to the church? There were many people that were professing to be Christian, but had little 
relationship with Jesus Christ because it was just the popular thing to do. So while people would say they're Christian, they didn't even really understand what that means. Well, today the lines are clearly drawn. Check out this graph here for me. Let's go to this next one. This is the decline in church attendance in America. So as you can see, over the past 10 years, again, every single generation has declined in their, in their um, this is the percentage of, sorry, let me help make sure I get this clear for you. I don't want anybody to think we're looking at the wrong thing. This is the percentage of the generation that is attending church more than once a month. So again, you see here that there are less than 30, probably about 35% of millennials who are attending church more than once a month. Generation X um, is a little bit higher. Baby boomers are a little bit better. Silent generation is the only generation of people who profess to be Christians that are attending church more than once a month. So this is the context that we find ourselves in. Now, I don't know about you. Sometimes when I look at these statistics and I look at these things and I start to say, man, there's less Christians in America. Where's the church going? Will it exist in 20 years? What's going to happen here? I want us to take a moment and I want us to look at the context that Paul is writing to in the church in Rome. In fact, when I was researching it this week, I found this quote and I thought this was really helpful. If we can check this out. They... Rome were the product of a complicated interactions of numerous components that included changes in the values, wealth, and education of the upper class, innovations in finances, agriculture and commerce, expansion of the Senate, enormous increases in citizenship, unrest amongst the classes, problems in maintaining order in the districts and in and around Rome, and the major factor in Rome's demise seems to have been political. Now, it's almost humorous. If we just pulled the word Rome out of there and we threw in America, we would go, wow, these two contexts look very similar. See, there's something we have to understand today before we ever look at Paul's method for spreading the gospel across the world, is that we have never, the church, the history of the church in, in 2,000 years, has never looked at the culture that it's in and said, now this is what the church is going to look like. See, Paul is writing in a context that looks likely, largely like ours, where Christianity is not popular at all. I don't know if you know this, but right before the time that Paul's writing, um, Jews are not allowed to gather together. They're literally not allowed to join each other in worship. See, what we're referencing here is there's the fall of the Roman Republic and there's the beginning of the Roman Empire. You know what happens later in the Roman Empire? Christians are blamed by Emperor Nero for the burning down of the city of Rome. Christianity is not popular. And yet, what we're going to see today is that Paul has a very simple method for how we go and spread the gospel. There's one other important thing that we have to note before we jump in here this morning. I think sometimes we believe, and I fall into this trap too, that people will come to church on their own if they want to. That something will happen in their life that will lead for them to come to church. I can tell you right now, as someone that knows every new person that comes through our doors, knows their name, sees them on papers, they come in one of three ways. They're moved here, they're coming from another church, or somebody invited them to church. That is the way that people come to church today. Maybe 20, 30 years ago, when it was popular to profess to be a Christian, people were more likely to come into church on their own. 
Maybe they would just walk in because something happened in their life or they started to have kids and they said, now I want my kids to grow up in the church. That doesn't happen today. Now people turn to other resources and other things. So if our version of the gospel message spreading throughout the the world and growing the church in America is just to assume that people are going to come on their own, it's not going to happen. It will not happen that way. So we turn back to the method that Paul prescribed to the church 2,000 years ago. If you'll stand with me this morning, we're going to read Romans chapter 10, verses 10 through 15. This is verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I think this is one of the massive pauses in Scripture, so I'll pause here before I continue to read. Paul then goes on and says, How then... Will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just ask this morning, um, God, that you remind us that we are a sent people. Um, that we are your instrument to spread the gospel across the earth, Lord. God, that we are called, we are equipped, and we are sent, Father. Remind us of that in this place. God, I pray for just even appointments here today where people get clarity on what it looks like for them to go together with us as a church. And let this not be a movement where some of us go. Let this be a movement where we're all going together, Father. So in your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can take a seat. So Paul begins this passage very, giving a very clear description of what it looks like to come into salvation of Christ. This is found in an interesting section in Romans because it's really kind of right in the middle of three chapters where Paul is talking about Israel. He's talking about how does Israel fit into the gospel message. But he stops here in chapter 10 and he gives a very clear picture of what does it look like for someone to come into salvation of Christ. He begins by saying that you believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth. If you believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. That's the assurance that we have in Christ. Simple, clear. There's this belief component, understanding what the gospel message, what Jesus has done for you, accepting that, and then confessing it with your mouth. It's that simple, Paul says. And I imagine that they're hearing that, and they're like, okay, good, good, good. I feel good about that. I've done that. But then he pauses, and he turns to this question where he's not as much focusing on just the process of salvation, but he's saying, okay, if that's true, what about these people who haven't heard? And I want us to just sit with these questions today. I want these questions to just kind of burn in the back of our mind as we're going through this series for the next seven weeks and as we approach what it looks like to go together. And the first question is this. How will they call without believing? Do you have a clear understanding of the belief that you have in Christ? Because see, 
I wonder sometimes if one of the reasons that we struggle to share the gospel with other people is because we don't have a firm foundation for the faith that we have in Jesus. Maybe the next seven weeks for you looks like you working on your believing. Maybe it looks like you saying, how can I grow in knowledge of who God is? One of the things I love about this Go Together series, it's not like we're just saying like, go, get out of here, go do it, and we'll talk about it later. We're spending seven weeks talking about what it looks like to be a church on mission, why we go, how we go, how God has equipped us to go. I want you to be involved with us. Because again, maybe your foundation is what is, is keeping you from wanting to share the gospel to your neighbor because you're scared that you don't have an answer for the question that they may ask you, that it makes you nervous. And again, I've been there. Listen, I was listening to Ravi Zacharias, who died recently, talking about him being there. And he's like one of the greatest apologists like of, our, of our, my lifetime talking about being there recently in his life. We all will be in places where we get nervous or it's hard to share the gospel. But the question for you this morning is this, how long is it okay for you to not seek an answer for the reason that you need to have a firm foundation in your faith? How long is it okay to say, I've got questions, I've got questions, I've got questions, but I've never actually sought out the answer? At some point, the rubber has to meet the road, and you have to say that I have to get an answer for what I believe. 1 Peter 3.15 says it like this, But in your heart, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, the hope that is in you. Friends, we have to be prepared to share the gospel message of Jesus with other people. The chances, and and I know this is like an old method and it seemed to work well for a while, but the chances of just saying like, hey, come with me and listen to my pastor preach about it because I don't have the answer, like that's not the method. (laughs) The method is people on mission equipped to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It's not to have every answer. Again, and we go by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me remind you of that. So God will equip you as you're on this journey. But again, if the reason that you're not sharing is because you're struggling with your belief, take the seven weeks to say, how can I grow in my belief? How can I grow in my confidence with God? You know, join an environment, join a group, join a class. You know, find something to read on your own. If you've got certain questions, certain answers, ask one of our pastors on staff. Ask somebody to walk on this journey with you to get the understanding for the reason that you believe so you have the confidence to go share the gospel message with other people. Because again, how will they call without believing? The second question, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning that Paul asks is this, how will they believe without hearing? See, this is the question that I think just kind of stabs us. (laughs) Because we say, okay, yeah, how is somebody going to know the gospel message without hearing? I would be remiss if I didn't share this with you this morning. And, and this seven-week series, we're focusing on our community, and we need to do that. But I also have to tell you this, that there are 2.2 billion people in the world who will never hear the gospel message before they die. Today, in the world. 2.2 billion people. We're going to share with you a couple next week that's going to one of those people groups to spread the gospel message. God's plan for sharing the gospel with people is through other people. It takes people being committed to saying, I am going to share the gospel to my community and to the ends of the earth if that's where God calls me. Do we have the openness and the willingness to say, God, if you would send me somewhere like that, 
Let's do that. So if there's someone in this room that that nudges you to want to go, talk to me after church. I'd love to talk with you more about that. But back to talking about our community. There is not a single case in the New Testament where somebody hears the gospel from something other than a person. Not a single case. Now, you might start to think of some examples. You might start to say, okay, well, Paul, there's an easy one. Paul meets Jesus on the way to Damascus. Well, what happens right after that? Ananias shares the gospel with him. There is not a single case in the entire New Testament where the gospel is shared by someone other than a person. People have visions. People see things. This happens all around the world. I even talk to missionaries who talk about this, but people have visions of Jesus, but it's always followed up by a person verbally sharing the gospel with them. You may have heard this quote before, share the gospel at all times, but if necessary, use words. It is always necessary to use words when you share the gospel, always. The gospel is a message that has to be heard. That's a great quote, and I understand the meaning behind it, because, again, our actions do matter. You know, your, 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 your words may fall deaf on somebody if you're not living out actions that show Christ to them. Your actions matter. Your tone matters. Your method matters. But the gospel message is always followed by words. It's always the message of sharing. So we have to understand that in our context in the world today, that people are not just going to come here on their own, that you have to be willing to share the gospel message with people. It's a message that has to be told. And guess what? We are the people that God has equipped, the people that he's called, and we are the people that are responsible with this. When we have the greatest gift in the history of the world with us, when we live in a world that sometimes seems pretty bleak and hopeless right now, I have this thought often as I talk to friends that are Christian or non-Christian, we live with gospel privileges every single day. Every day when we go through our struggles, we have the ability to reflect back on what Jesus has done for us. There are people in our neighborhood who just flat out can't do that because they've never heard. They've never understood. They've never been shared about the hope that they can have in Christ in the midst of a world that finds itself in a pandemic. In the midst of the world where there's strife, where there's sickness, where there's disease, they go back to that and they got to look to something else for their answer. But we live every single day with gospel privileges to share the gospel with other people. So God has equipped us. God has called us. We go by the power of his Holy Spirit, but we have to be willing to tell people. So we'll be talking about that. I think I, I, think I pretty much drilled that one in. The third question that Paul raises is this. How will they preach unless they are sent? This is what we're doing. Maybe, maybe before, you know, you said we've never been sent. We never had that moment of sending, or we had it a long time ago, and, we, and we're, now we're doing it again. But today we are saying for seven weeks, we are a sent people. But as a church, we are a people that are equipped to go out on mission. My, probably my favorite moment. I want to put a probably on it, because maybe I'll mix one up later. And you'll tell me you said this was your favorite moment. My favorite moment of my time of being a staff member here at Stones Crossing Church was in a staff meeting. It wasn't in a worship service wasn't this big moment, but we're sitting in a staff meeting, and Pastor Scott says this simple phrase that I feel like every pastor should say, but it hit me in a different way that morning, where he said that I want to be a church that grows through discipleship. That is the kind of church that we want to be. 
Meaning that we don't want to be a church that just grows because people come from other churches and we know there's good reasons for that sometimes, but that doesn't want to be the primary way we grow. We don't want to be a church that just grows because we've got the best show in town and people want to come for the show. But no, we want to be a church that if we're growing, we're going to grow because the faithful people that are carrying the gospel message throughout the earth. That is the way, if we ever grow, that we want it to be by by multiplication, by people saying, you know what, I have people in my life that need to hear this message, and I'm going to share it with them. That is the way that we want to grow. Again, it's the way that the church has grown for 2,000 years. That's the reason that we're standing here today in Greenwood, Indiana, because faithful people listened to a message like this at one point in time where Paul raised these questions and said, you know what, only way that people are going to hear is if I tell them. And so they carried that message with them. So we are sending you out. Now, let me pause here for a minute and get real practical on what this is going to look like. So, for the next six weeks, we are doing a series in Philippians chapter 1 and 2. I got to get that right. In Philippians chapter 1 and 2, we are doing a series where we are going to talk about what does it look like to be a people on mission? What is the gospel perspective that we have? What is God sending us to? And we are going to be doing this all together. So, even as early as tonight, There are groups in our church that will be meeting to talk about the context, to talk about the scripture that Scott will be preaching on next Sunday. Again, this is seven weeks of us growing in this, but also in the midst of this, not only do we have groups, we've got classes, we've got all these different environments that we want you to step into. Maybe you can't do any of those things. I mean, it's hard for me to believe that maybe you can't find one option that works for you because there's options every day, but say that you can't find an option to, to, to do. Do the study with your family. Find a friend and do the study with us. Let's go together through this. Let this truly be something where not just some of us are going, the church is going, and let's all go together. So step into a group, step into one of these environments with us this morning. Again, you can see these are the three primary ways that you can get involved and go together. But again, we are going to be growing in our understanding of the mission that God has for our church. So get on board and go with us. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 that we, talking to the people, the listener, you are the light of the world. And Christ encourages us to carry this message again. We are God's plan to spread the gospel across the face of the earth. Paul ends this passage of scripture with a vision, and I love vision. My wife makes fun of me because there's two phrases she says that I say all the time. One I've already said a lot today, in the midst of. That's her like, least favorite phrase. She says, stop saying that all the time. Pastors say that all the time is what she says. The second phrase is paint a picture. And the reason I say this so often is because vision drives me. Vision motivates me. When I can see it, I can figure out how it can become a reality. If in my mind, when someone's talking about something and they say, this is where we're going, and I hear about it, and I go, yes, I can go with you because I have a vision of where we're going. I've seen this happen a few times in the life of our church. One of the greatest of these was Stone's Auto Ministry, sitting on a couch with Charlie Pulcher as he pitches a vision for the auto ministry and what it could look like. And once we had a vision, it was a lot easier to understand the plan and the method. See, Paul has laid out his method. It's simple. Go and tell. Go share with people. That's the method. But his vision is this. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. See, Paul has a picture in his mind when he's talking to this people about them carrying the gospel message throughout the world. 
It's a picture that he can see. I don't know about you, but when you read those statistics that we were talking about earlier, do you have like a, a gloom picture of what do you think the church is going to look like in the next 20 years in America? Is that the picture that we carry sometimes that we go, you know what, this is the way it's going and churches are going to decline and they're going to get smaller? That's not, that's not the picture. <laughs> See, the church is going nowhere. See, as Job says, nations rise and empires fall. As Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. The church is going nowhere. The church is the firm foundation. We may have a tendency sometimes to put our hope and trust in all these other things in this world, but the firm rock, the firm foundation is the church. So let's invest our time in it. Let's say, what does it look like for us to buy into this vision that we're going to carry the gospel message to the people in our community? How beautiful are the feet of those who love him, Paul says. Friends, that's why I get so pumped up when I talk about that time in the staff meeting and Scott's giving a vision for our church as a church that's growing through discipleship. And I've seen us faithfully try to walk that out over the years. Because again, people have influence with people that I'll never have, that nobody will ever have from this platform. Heart transformation Real change happens within the context of one-on-one -on -one relationships, and you have relationships with people in your life that God is calling you to share the gospel message with. So will you go with us? Will you grow in your believing? Will you grow in your understanding of the faith? Will you tell people about the transformation that God has done in your life? I want to pause here and remind you of something, because maybe at this point we come to a spot where we start to say, okay, this is a lot of going, a lot of going, I need to do it, I want to do it, but I don't understand how, and I don't have the power, and I don't understand this. We have to remember that Christ was sent for us. We are a sent people that look back at what God has done, that the foundation of this mission, that this foundation that we're sharing has nothing to do with our own abilities. It has nothing to do with just our own you know, skill set or our ability to share words or be elegant, eloquent with people. Our ability to spread the gospel is by the power of Jesus Christ. We stand on the firm foundation of what Christ did on the cross for us. This is what motivates us. This is what drives us. And this is the power that we go. So we are called to go. We're not just called and ill-equipped. We are called to go. We are equipped to go. We are a sent people with the greatest message in the history of the world. So I'm going to ask you today that after service, if you're somebody and you're considering what does it look like for you to join the Go Together study with us, we got to get creative and think of a different way or something, come up front and talk to me. Go out to the counter and talk to somebody. Let this be a moment in our church where we are reminded that we are a sent people, sent with the greatest message in the history of the world to a world that is in desperate need of the hope of Jesus Christ in their life. Let's pray. Yeah, Father God, God, I'm so thankful. God, it's, it's nervous it's, it's to think about the fact that you um, choose to use us, Lord, that we are your instrument. But God, we know that we're not called and ill-equipped. And Father, that we go by the power of your Spirit. Father God, we minister out of overflow of what you have done for us. So Father God, as we launch and to go together. 
Mark our church as a people that are sent, Lord. Raise up ideas, raise up thoughts, raise up names in our heart of people that you are calling us to go to, Father. Father God, we submit ourselves before you as an instrument. We say, use us, Father. This isn't Stones Crossing Church, this isn't one person's church, this is your church, Lord. Father God, we pray that you continue to build faithful Christ followers like we saw this morning. Let that be our driver, let that be our vision for our church, Lord. That you would raise people up in knowledge of you and you would send people out. Father God, we praise you. To your son, Jesus' name we pray, amen.